0: We're starting a new series today called Through the Curtain. Through the Curtain. I want to talk to you about a subject that most of us don't like talking about, don't like thinking about. I heard one person say that most people, when they think about this subject, they can only do so for about 20 seconds before they, their mind wants to switch to something else. Well, they don't like getting into discussions about it, uh, but this is fascinating because it, it hits everybody. So we're going to talk about death, the afterlife, and all the pieces and parts and all of what this means for us today. I have found that even within the household of faith, uh, there are all kinds of questions that people have about this subject, all kinds of ideas and views, some of them extremely odd, some of them not so odd, but people have questions and it is in the forefront uh, of people's minds rarely, but it's always in the back burner, always brewing there somewhere. And so we're gonna deal with this and you're gonna discover that there's many facets and many pieces and parts to this whole theme. You can't talk about death without talking about what happens after. You can't talk about what happens after without talking about what happens after after. And we'll get into that. You've got future events there. You've got heaven and hell there. You've got all kinds of things. And when it comes to Christian belief, you, you have some very specific things. Now, this series is designed for people who are you know followers of Jesus or trying to. Uh, do that, but also people who are not. So maybe there's those of you, you've got friends and and, uh, you want to share this content online. I'm going to do it in such a way that a person from a non-religious view or a different religious view is still going to be engaged by this. So I want you to be challenged to do that. And on Wednesday nights on Zoom, Uh, I'm going to answer questions that people have about death and the afterlife and so on. Uh, If you are on our electronic list, you would have received a little text from me yesterday. You can start feeding me your questions and all of these things so at least I can get prepared and not have to answer them without any, any uh, kind of preparation, but I can try. Uh, and I want you to, you know, you've got friends and neighbors and all this who you're having discussions with, they can hop onto that Zoom call as well. If you don't have the link, come and see me. Most of you are on our list. And so uh, you will get an email from me or a text from me. Uh, but if you fill out that guest card, you're new today, you will also get it, all right? Uh, so today, we're going to start with kind of the introduction and asking a question, and I'm going to try and, try and get you to participate in this. You've held on for more than 20 seconds so far. Yes? All right. So it's, you have no choice. I mean, you're, you're seated in the seat, so I guess, you're, I guess you're still tracking with us, but I want to, to ask you a question, uh, and I want you to think about this. What really is death. What is it really? And I just want you to think about it for a few moments. I'm going to read to you from the New Testament. This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he's writing actually from a prison. And uh, so he's alone, he's isolated, but he's actually quite active in the prison. And uh, if you know anything about the apostle Paul, he's he's the man who was against the church Persecuting the church and then has an about face, a 180 degree turn, and becomes the greatest church planter, evangelist, uh, teacher, pastor that you see in the pages of the New Testament. In fact, he wrote more than half of the New Testament. And here he is writing from prison, uh, trying to encourage this church in Philippi. Now, I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, what we just acknowledged in communion. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus is coming back, the gospel in a short short uh, understanding. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So he's he's being persecuted, and he's being put in prison because of his belief in Christ somehow. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more fearlessly, more courageously. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. That's a message for another day. But apparently there are people who were talking about Jesus with bad motives. Paul doesn't seem to care. He says, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? Interesting. The important thing is that in every way, whether by false motives or true motives, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Wow. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is where I want you to start thinking, uh, whether by life or by death. I need some light here in my eyes. Ah, there we go. Okay, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. Watch this. And to die is Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. What is death? Maybe you've been thinking about it. Give me some observations uh, that you have about it. What is it? It's deathly silent. Yes, the hand at the back. Okay, when someone kills you or takes your life, all right, but what happens? The spirit leaves the body, okay, that's a, okay, that's the, the theological answer you'd find here, yeah, but even before you get there, what happens at death? The body ceases to function, how? The organs shut down, Okay. I know this is getting more, but you'll see where I'm going in a minute. Your body goes to a state of sleep. Your body goes to a state of sleep, okay? Blood stops flowing, okay? The mind stops, okay. Okay. So what is it though? Yeah, good, interesting use of Greek language there. Uh, Keep going. It's the final, final healing. Oh, okay. No more, no more vital signs. What's a vital sign? No more heartbeat. Okay. No more pain. Okay. Hmm. Do we know that for sure? Got to test it. It's hard to test, though. That's the problem. Okay, any molecular biologists in the room? Okay, well, like, you know dies, you can't talk ah, when someone you know dies, you can't talk to them. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, and no, I guess no molecular biologists in the room. I, I, I'm i being a little bit uh, facetious with you because the truth be told, death is very hard to define. And life is also very hard to define, especially if you work with the smallest of, 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 of life. And uh, in the world of molecular biology, they actually have a really hard time defining when is this tissue, this cell alive? And when is it not? And they have a really hard time trying to figure this out and a really hard time trying to find out why a cell, let's say, will stop doing its job and stop copying itself and stop replicating itself. Why some do and some don't at different times? What is it that causes this to happen? They really don't know. And, th- and nowadays, you get into a whole, a whole other ball of yarn with the technology that's out there, especially when it comes to cloning. And you can take, you can take DNA and you can, you can clone it. You can clone. I mean, we have a famous, famous story of an animal that was cloned, a sheep by the name of Dolly. Remember Dolly the sheep? Well, Dolly's a clone. And they took DNA. And so, when's that DNA alive and when's, it's not, when's it not? Well, the, wherever they took the DNA from died. Yeah, but the DNA still usable. Does that mean that it's alive? Or that means that it's not alive? So, in the smallest level of understanding the, in the world of microbiology, they have a hard time trying to figure out what's the difference, really between life and death? And why does death even happen? Why do these cells stop doing their job? Why do these organs start breaking down? Why does this happen? So there's a lot of, a lot of um, layers to the answer to this question that bring up even more questions. Uh, one thing for sure that you've, you've identified is yes, it definitely affects the body. Uh, we, We seem, you don't have to be a microbiologist to understand that, but it also affects the person, the person. So when we lose someone because they die, it's not just that the body is gone that the body ceases to work, the heart stops beating, the brain stops functioning, the blood stops flowing, the cells stop copying themselves, and so on. It's that the person, we also lose the person, don't we? Because we can't communicate with the person. The person can't communicate with us. The relationship that we have with the person is now finished. So it would be one thing if the body was just gone but we were able to communicate with the person somehow. And there was a way to do that. We would still say they're alive. Their body may be finished, but they're still alive. The problem is we not only lose the body, but we lose the person, don't we? And that's where the sting of it comes because we've lost both, at least in our understanding on this side of things. Now, none of you have experienced it yet, but you have uh, family members, friends, and so on that have. You're not able to find out from them what it was like, but they've experienced it. And from their perspective, they've lost you too. They lost the relationship with you. They lost you. They lost their interaction with you. They lost their interaction with the world around them. And they're no longer, it's that, and this is why we use language like loss. Uh, sometimes we say a person passed away because we think that that's more gentle than say the per, saying the person died. Uh, I heard one uh, a woman say, a wife of a famous evangelist, Louis Paolo, who uh, died of cancer. And she said, she said, I don't use that language passed away anymore. I say my husband died. I don't say he passed away because to say that he passed away means that he's no longer. But I don't believe that he's no longer. I believe that he died and he's gone somewhere else. We'll get into that in the, in the days ahead. But it affects both the body and the person. And the person. We, we lose both. Tell me something else about death. Very obvious. You haven't stated it yet. Everybody in this room knows the answer. And online. It's certain. Yeah, it's certain. Imagine, folks. Like, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. But it never misses. It has a 100% success rate it never misses it never has missed now i know what some of you theologians are thinking you're thinking wait a second there's a elijah in the bible didn't technically die and hey what about jesus jesus rose from the dead so just hold on we'll we'll get to that in a in a few moments but for our understanding for all intents and purposes if you're coming at this from even a non-christian perspective Every single person faces it. Every single person has faced it. Every single person will face it. It has a 100% success rate. It is a, a universal truth and experience. We don't like that. Uh, we live in a, in a culture where the idea of the universal truth is, is irritating. irritating. I want it's true for this one and not true for that one and so on. Well, the problem with death is it's true for everyone, isn't it? And there's many, many things like that in life. But for sure, the grave is a universal truth and experience. There are lineups of people. Uh, Last I checked, it was a 24-hour wait and an 8-kilometer line of people waiting to pay their respects to the queen, uh, who's then the funeral will be on television. I guess you have to get up pretty early in the morning to watch it. full-state funeral. Imagine all, all, millions and millions of people. Uh, yesterday, I did, a, I did a very small uh, committal service at a cemetery with five people, gathered around a graveside, an unmarked graveside for a senior woman who, who, uh, who my wife and I knew for many years who passed away, died, and so we went there and did that with a small group of people. No matter who you are, folks, the, the queen of England or the, just, just an average person, it affects every single person, and it seems to equalize doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't stop it. It doesn't matter what technology is available, the technology can't stop it. Medicine can't stop it. Religion, in a broad sense, can't stop it. It doesn't matter if the person's an atheist, a Buddhist, a Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Jehovah's Witness, Mormon. A mix. It doesn't matter. It doesn't respect a person's religious view. It still comes for every single person. It's an unstoppable truth and experience and reality that we almost never think about until we absolutely have to. Imagine, that's odd. Now, if it's a universal truth and a universal experience, that every single person will experience, every single person, then what else is it? And you may not have thought of this, but you will someday, or the people who you leave behind will someday. It's, I'm talking in really practical terms. Death is expensive. It's expensive. You say, well, I never really thought of that. Well, it's very expensive. Having had the occasion of uh, sitting with grieving families as they're making the arrangements for their loved ones, it's extremely expensive. When you have something that's universally true across the globe, irrespective of religion, socioeconomic status, gender, background, well you have that kind of certainty. That's a business opportunity waiting to happen, isn't it? Rightly or wrongly, it's extremely expensive. Maybe you haven't thought of that, just in practical terms, you should, because you've got to think about buying a car under pressure, uh, and and, and that's, that's how much you're... That's how much it is. That It's an expensive, expensive, and very lucrative business because of the certainty of it, because of the predictability of it, 100.00% true. It's expensive, very expensive. It's uh, not welcome, is it? In most cases, at least, it's an enemy. Even the Bible uses this terminology. Uh, the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. Paul will write the same writer to the Corinthian church. So it's it's an enemy to us. And and rightly so. It takes from us that person. The person is gone from us, the person is taken. And oftentimes we we find ourselves asking questions: why? Did this happen in this way to this person? Yes, it has a 100% predictability rate, but the way that it happens and the fashion that it happens often causes us to question. Say, why did this person suffer in such a way? What did they do wrong in order to suffer that way? And we kind of have this weird economy in our head that, as if somebody did something wrong when it has a 100% success rate We still have this sort of strange way of thinking about it. It's an unwelcome enemy in our life. We don't don't, uh, speak positively about it. We don't expect it with open arms. We don't, uh, that's why we don't want to talk about it. That's why we don't want to think about it. It's an unwelcome enemy. Only at the very end do I want to deal with all of this stuff is the way that we tend to think. So let me ask you. Of all these observations that anyone can have, regardless of religious view or or perspective or angle, are any of them positive? They don't apparently appear to be positive at all. They appear to be quite negative and quite dark and quite like, you know, this is the last thing that I want to hear to encourage me. And yet when we read Paul, And when we read his perspective on death, he has a completely different angle and a completely different perspective than we typically do. He sees this totally, totally differently than we do. And if you slow down and look at what he's written here, especially verses uh, 20, 21, 22, Look what he says uh, in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ. So uh, for him, the the evangelist, the church planter, the pastor, the teacher, the man whose life turned 180 degrees around, he says, for me to live is Christ. Christ. And one would, one would say, well, that would make sense. I mean, if that has happened to you and you feel that way and you have those kinds of convictions, then, for, then to say to live is Christ would be a pretty predictable statement. But then he turns around and he says, to die is gain. It's gain. He's getting something, he says, by dying. He's got, there's, a, there's an optimism in his words here by using this term gain why in the world would dying be gain for this man wouldn't he wouldn't he say oh you know if i if i die then i won't be able to worship jesus anymore i won't be able to spread his, uh, his, his, the knowledge of his existence and the message of salvation to others. It'll be over, it'll be finished, and my life will be over. And, you know, this kind of negative perspective. No, he says dying is actually gain for him. How is this true that it is gain? Uh, if I am to go on living in the body... If I am to go on living in the body, well, where else would you live? (laughs) He seems to have an understanding that the body and him as a person are somehow distinct from one another. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So I'll be doing things and it will be fruitful for me for sure. But I'm kind of stuck in between in, in terms of where I want to be. As if somehow who he is and his person is distinct from his physical body, somehow. I, I'm torn between the two. I don't know what to choose. I don't know. I'm, uh, uh, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Depart, where are you going? He seems to have this idea. Where he got it, we'll try and discover in the coming weeks. But he seems to have this idea that his death is the beginning of a journey. It means that he's departing. So you can say it's a means of departure. But Paul, where are you going? I desire to depart and be with Christ. So the one who he's preaching about and the one who he's teaching about and spending all of his life trying to propagate the message about, he's saying that he's going to be with Christ when he dies. And his death here can only, can only be referring to his physical death. Something seems to happen in his mind at physical death that implies a departure. He's leaving, seems to be leaving his body because he said to be with Christ, which is better by far. So better than even living in this world and communicating this message that Christ has given me is to depart And to be with him, which is far better. But then he turns around and he says, It is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Wow, where is he getting this from? He's got this concept that somehow who he is is distinct from his physical body. Is he positive or is he negative? he 's positive he 's very positive and if there 's one thing that I want you to walk away with uh, just from the the first message here it 's that our perspective and our angle on death and the way that we look at it is crucial, and we typically look at this thing as this awful unwelcome enemy that's going to take our lives, take the lives of our loved ones, and so on. And this is the way, this is the sort of specter that we have about death. When you approach it from the perspective that Paul had, he has an angle that's very different. And for him, this is not unwelcome. For him, this is actually hopeful. For him, this is a welcome thing. For him, this is far better. For him, this is a departure. For him, this is being with Christ rather than simply talking about him. He believes that he will literally be in the presence of Jesus when he dies physically. Why does he believe this? Where does he get this from? Why does he have this conviction? Why does he have this sense of resolve? So much so that from a prison cell, he's going to write this to a church. Why? And this is what will... We'll try and ascertain over the next few weeks. But I want you to think about changing your perspective and your view on this subject. And musicians, if you're in the room and you can come and play in the back, we're going to close the service here. Uh, but uh, I, I wonder, folks, um, because of the amount of times that I've, that I've uh, sat with families and the amount of funerals, because it's a 100% certainty... I wonder if there are those of you in the room and the very subject just sends a chill down your spine. You feel a sense of unpreparedness. You feel a sense of just ignorance about it. You feel a sense of fear about it. Uh, You've experienced it already in terms of uh, loved ones have died. You've, You've attended the funerals. You wanted to get out of there as quickly as you could. This subject is probably, you may be the type of person that never, never wants to think about it, never wants to talk about it, doesn't even want to discuss planning for it. Maybe you need to change your perspective and your view because if the author of this book is right, there's something there on the other side that could be. A lot more hopeful than what you even imagined, or thought, or dreamt, and you can develop a conviction that would be the same as him. The angle and the perspective changes uh, in Christ. So, Father, I pray for each person who's in the room today, people who are watching online, people who are going to watch later and listen to recordings later. Uh, Lord, uh, in our in our culture, in our modern world, uh, our view is so different, so different than what we read about in the pages of Scripture. But I pray, Lord, that Your Spirit would begin to crack open a door of hope in people's hearts, uh, Lord, as we as we take a look at this subject that we want to avoid. I pray, Lord, you would start to change people's views and you would start to change people's perspective. There's folks in this room who are all different ages, oh God, uh, people who are watching all different backgrounds and perspectives and ages and all of that. And seems like the closer we get to, uh, to the, the end of the road and the older and older we get, the more and more we start thinking about it and the more we start wondering Sometimes when we're young, we feel invincible. We feel like nothing can stop us, that not even death can. Oh, God, would you start to change people's minds and people's hearts? That we would, uh, uh, our perspective would be one of light, one of hope, one of um, courage, uh, and one of faith. And Lord, uh, help us to reach to you, Jesus. Jesus and to find you somehow as we even think about this subject. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you today. Enjoy uh, the rest of it. Remember to pick up your kids over in number 11. If there are guests in the room, please fill out a guest card. I would love to follow up your visit with us. And Wednesday night we'll be on Zoom, and we'll break this down a little more and start taking your questions. God bless you, everyone.
1: The foul.